0: Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thank you. Well, thank you, Michaela. Good morning. Keep your Bibles open there to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have one with you this morning, please grab a blue one in front of you. I uh, want you to be able to follow along with us as we teach and see that what... We're talking about, we're not coming up with on our own. It comes from the word of God, and that's the, the opinion that matters. Uh, join me in a word of prayer, if you would. God, we love you. Uh, we're just so grateful, Lord, for your, for your presence here this morning. We're so grateful for the presence of each person who's taken the time out of their lives to, to give this hour to you. And so, Lord, I just pray now that you cash that in, uh, that you would just take... Uh, this moment in time that you would speak uh, to each person individually right, right where they're at this morning, God. That you would uh, use this message and if you decide not to use this message, you use something else. But whatever it is, God, would you just bring yourself glory this morning. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a somewhat famous line that I'm sure you've heard or heard some aspect of it that goes like this. Find a job that you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. I said, most of you probably heard that, most of you probably agree with that, first time you heard it, but the question I want to lay before you this morning is, what would God say about that? You see, work is an unavoidable part of life. Some of you, are I know there's a few of you who are trying to get four degrees and be students until you're 40, but you still have to work, okay? And often, the rest of us who are out in the field, right, we, we don't view work as positive, right? We've all heard TGIF. How many people say TGIM? Thank God it's Monday, Right? Uh, when somebody comes skipping by you, well, do people skip anymore? Is that a thing that humans do? When someone comes bounded by you, you can tell they're in a really good mood. No one says, well, they've got a case of the Mondays, right? Instead, we dream of vacation. We dream of retirement. We talk about working for the weekend. We say things like, I have to go to work today, not like, I get to go to work. Because work in our mind is attributed with struggle. Work is attributed with boredom. Work is attributed with a a grind. It's joyless. And all that explains our reaction to that famous saying because we all think deep down, man, we believe that a life without work would be the best kind of life. But what if I told you this morning the Bible teaches the very opposite thing? That work is not a grind, it's a gift. That work is a gift from God and a tool to be used and that there's a way to bring purpose into the most helpless feeling and most hopeless feeling jobs, that there's nothing that you do that you cannot do for a greater purpose than yourself. And so let me ask you, have you ever felt like you're stuck in a job that you can't get out of? You ever worked for a boss or superior that, that was just mean or critical or unfair? Or have you ever gotten tired of coworkers and just wished you could get away from them? Or have you ever felt under, unappreciated? You ever felt underpaid? You ever felt unchallenged? Do you ever struggle to find purpose in what you do every day for a living? Do you ever find yourself just longing for retirement for a day that you can leave all this work stuff behind you? Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a way to alleviate all of that. That there's actually a way to find purpose. There's a way to experience fulfillment. There's a way to be content in your work. But the key to unlocking those things is different than we'd expect. It's likely something that you've never tried or never even thought of trying. But if you can understand what the Bible has to say about work, it can literally change your life. And here's why. Other than sleeping, we spend more time working than anything else. And so it should be of absolutely no surprise to us that God has a lot to say about it. And it should motivate us to see this rightly because of the potentially huge impact it has on life just from the time commitment. And honestly, it's an area that many Christians don't have a biblical view on. And so Colossians 3, Paul takes on work. And it's not the only time he does In fact, almost every single letter he wrote to church At some point, he addresses this idea of work But before we get into work this morning there, there's, there's something I think that we need to just hit pause and explain Because in the section that we're breaking down for you The section that Michaela just read for you All this talk is about slaves and masters We read that section there's anything in there that you felt was missing How about the line, you shouldn't have slaves I, I, would, I would assume that would be in there But it's not, right? And so we need, to, we need to understand why. And so given the history of our nation, right, given the value of human life, I, I felt like we need to address this. Because when you and I hear the word slave, what comes up in our mind is an extremely negative connotation, and rightfully so. But this letter that we find in the Bible was written to a church in Colossae 2,000 years ago, halfway across the world. Which means it was a different time, and a different culture, and a different economy, and all that matters. Because this, in this section in Colossians 3, Paul is writing about households. And that's the first hint that there's something different than how we define it. Because in Roman and Greek culture, slaves were seen as a part of the household. And so slavery was, was entire. it was just rampant. It was a real part of everyday society. But there are key differences to how you and I understand this practice. And, and the, key, the biggest one is that this was used, slavery was used as a means of paying off debt. And so if you had a debt, the financial debt that you owe that you simply could not pay... then then you had this option. If you had a a debt that you owed because of of a crime, you stole something, you couldn't pay it back, you had this option to voluntarily sell yourself to work as a slave until the debt was paid off. And so both the Roman and Greek society would allow slaves to earn income or else they couldn't pay their debt off. They allowed them to buy property. They allowed them to pay off their debt in time to repurchase their own freedom. And now just like today at jobs, the treatment of slaves in individual houses had to vary. I'm sure there were cruel masters. Okay, and I'm sure they were kind masters. In fact, historians say that, that many slaves chose to stay in their master's house after their debt was paid off because they liked the structure of that. They made a mess of their life on their own and they decided to stay in the master's house even after their freedom was granted. Now, despite all that, you need to know this one, the thrust of the entire revelation of God, the thrust of the entire word of God is that this is still not good. All human beings have been made in God's image. All human beings, that means, have been this inherent dignity and worth implanted in them because they've been made in the image of God. In fact, if you look up in chapter 3 and verse 11, we're told that in Jesus Christ there is no slave or free. All of us are equal at the foot of cross. And so... On top of that, of course, right? Of course, the kidnapping and trading and selling and owning of people as done in the Western slave trade was a despicable and horrendous stain in our history and it's an affront to God. In fact, in First Timothy, Paul is listing a group of people who, who he calls ungodly, unholy, and sinful. And in that list, in First Timothy 1, you'll find he lists slave traders. Even though th- then that day, it was still a far cry from the cruel Western practice we had later in our country, but the reason that Paul makes that distinction is the moment a person goes from working off debt to being traded is the moment they go from human to property. And no human being made in God's image is ever to be property. And so as we unpack these verses, what I need you to do this morning is just take that cruel Western practice of slavery out of your head. and, and But also know this still wasn't ideal. Another byproduct of this is that especially in Greek culture, the, the view of work was greatly diminished. So if you have a bunch of slaves doing labor, what happens is the rest of the people view it as beneath them. And so the goal in Greek culture was to get yourself to a level where you never, ever have to work again. That labor, right, that stressing yourself and straining yourself was for the uneducated. Labor was for the poor. Labor was for the slaves. It was beneath a dignified person, which is why Paul talks so much about work in his letters to churches, because that's not how God views it at all. It's why if you read his writings, he argues again and again and again that those who preach the gospel should be paid, but every single church he went to, he would work in that city because he was trying to redeem the view of work that the people of God had. He was trying to model for the church how important work is. And so what happens is now in the New Testament, from Paul's writings, we get this nice theology of work. We get to see how God wants us to work how he wants us to interact with other people and interact as employees and as bosses and how we can bring him glory in our work which is the ultimate aim and so today in this we're going through this this section heartbeat that's on worship today we're gonna we're gonna take a really narrow focus and I just want us as a church to be clear that what what work is in the eyes of God and what work is not in the eyes of God and then I want to talk about how followers of Christ should respond to that biblical teaching and so first point is this that work is not a curse I've, I've heard this taught this this misconception is very common that work is a curse and it all comes from this passage in Genesis 3 that I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 3 says this to Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you Through painful toil you will eat food from in all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now the context, what's happening in Genesis chapter 3, is the start of the chapter, Adam and Eve, bring sin into creation. They disobey God for the very first time, and now everything is thrown out of whack. And the back half of Genesis 3 is God laying out his curses in response to the existence of sin. And when we get to man, this is a brilliant thing. The first thing we need to note is that God does not curse man, He curses the ground. For which we should all say this morning, praise God. Because what, what that, the, the theological significance of that is that he saved that curse for himself. He saved that curse for Jesus Christ on the cross. He saved the punishment of sin for himself. What a good and gracious God we have. Right? But due to the curse that exists on the ground, that means that creation now lives under the curse of sin. Work is much harder. Right? And, and here's the reality of it. This is, this is inarguable this morning. You don't have to do anything to let the curse win. Do nothing and the curse will win. Don't believe me? Don't mow your yard for four months and tell me what it looks like. Right, abandon your home. Just, just open up the windows of your home. Leave it for six months. Come back and look at it and tell me what it looks like. Don't shower for three weeks and tell me what you smell like. Right? You do nothing and the curse will win since, because sin's curse on the creation is very real. But work is not the curse. You've got to make this distinction. Work is not the curse. And here's how we know that. One chapter earlier in Genesis chapter 2 tells us this the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and to take care of it and why that's significant is this is before sin entered the creation this was there was no curse there was no pain there was no discord there was no chaos everything was good before sin on the only thing that humans received from god were gifts and so work is not a curse it's a gift it's been it's been a part of our design from the beginning and with the gift we can actually fight against the curse, which is the most exciting thing there is on this topic, and we're going to get to more of that later. So number one, work is, work is not a curse. Number two, work is not secular. And how I'm going to define the word secular this morning is just separate from the sacred or holy. And so too often, people and even Christians believe that life is divided in two disconnected categories, right? You have the, the sacred over here and the secular over here. And so the sacred is anything to do with God, so you've got your church time, you've got your Bible time, any time you pray, any time that's related to God. This, this, it all files into the God category, in the sacred. And the secular is anything else. It's all the stuff you have to do. It, it's, it's mowing your lawn and doing the dishes and going to work and just all the mundane, normal things of life. But we think, if we're not careful, we think and plan and act and live as if these two categories exist and they exist separately. That God stays in his little corner. He stays in heaven. He stays in his place. And I'm over here doing my thing. And the problem with this view is numerous. For the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot even begin to adopt this view in your life. Because God calls us to make him the center of our lives. We don't ever get to clock out from him. Michaela read to you verse 23. It says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord. There's nothing that you get to separate him out of. And So even if you don't claim to be a Christian this morning, this view is still problematic for you. Because what happens in a secular view that God is left out of work is that human beings are left to get their sense of peace, their sense of fulfillment, their sense of identity somewhere. And outside of God, you know where often people turn? It's work. They pour themselves into it. They find their identity is rooted in their job. It consumes them totally. And the problem with that is that is a really shaky identity. Because that job isn't forever. And what happens when you lose it? What happens when you lose your entire identity? See, work and God are never meant to be separate. They're, they're, not, they're not meant to be apart. We, God Himself has designed us and created us to be workers, and we will fulfill His will for our lives when we work, and when we work well, we bring Him glory. So our work life is a huge platform on which we can worship God. Thirdly, not all work is legitimate. Okay, we've been telling you all series that worship's bigger than you think. Right, and today I want you to see work as worship by the time we're done. But you need to know this, not all work is legitimate. Legitimate work on this earth is an extension of God's work of maintaining and providing for his creation. So legitimate work contributes to what God wants done in the world. Illegitimate work, or legitimate work doesn't contribute to what God doesn't want done in the world. And so what I mean by that is all illegal professions... And any legal ones that go against what God is trying to accomplish in His creation, any illi- any legal ones that go against standards of His Word, are these are not legitimate work. And so these careers are not for the followers of Christ to pursue or make money off of. So now we know what work isn't, but we also need to know what it is. And it's simple: work's a gift. It has been ingrained into our design for humanity. It's a platform on which we can bring God holy. But like. But like all gifts, it must be utilized properly in order to reach its maximum benefit. So there there are five ways that you and I can maximize this gift of work. And, And number one is this, that through work we serve other people. This is how work began. Since the beginning time, work has always been in response to human need. So there's a need, there's a human need, and so people work to meet it. And so some jobs meet our physical needs. Still today, there's, there's people who work in the food industry, there's people who work in the medical industry, right, in the medical field. These jobs meet our physical needs. Some jobs meet our aesthetic, or entertainment needs, right? Do you know that, that pleasure and joy are designed of God? Art is designed of God. So anything that you do to bring beauty or, 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 or righteous pleasure into the world that is stained by sin is one of among the holiest of things that you can do. Because you're, you're fighting against what sin has wrought. And other work meets spiritual needs, it's volunteering at your church, counseling, teaching, anything that deals, that deals with the human soul. And so what, ha- what happens is human beings have endless needs. We're needy people. And as long as we've existed, work provides us with opportunities to serve people by meeting those needs. Second, and this, this is a big one, through work we can meet our own needs. And to understand this, we have to start here. We have to start with the recognition that all everything that, that comes in our life comes from God. And so your health is a gift from God. Your ability to move and work is a gift from God. Your job is a gift from God. That's from him. That's not you. You didn't earn that. You didn't do it. But we must utilize those gifts from him, shouldn't we? We can't waste them. And one way that we utilize them is, is that we provide for the needs of our family. And by the way, did you know that this was important to God? It really is. There, there, are, there are times in life when people experience real need. Okay? And we cannot downplay those. Times where there's a catastrophic life event. Times where someone loses a job unexpectedly. Times where there's just, there's just an unexpected bill that lands and lap and, and they just, there's real need. And in those moments, the church is to respond with compassion. The church is to respond with grace and aid. The church of Jesus needs to be there for people in that. But in the Greek culture that Paul was writing to and speaking to, right, they didn't have a very high view of work. And Paul was constantly coming up against this. And, and you see this. If you read the letters to First and 2 Thessalonians, he, it, it's woven throughout those letters because a portion of that church, even followers of Jesus, just didn't want to work. They're just flat lazy. They didn't, didn't want to get a job. And so we find passages like this, 2, Th- 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul says this. For even when we were with you... We gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. He lays it out clearly for them. If this is just a stubborn unwillingness to do what the Lord has asked you to do, there's consequences of that. Now, secondly, we're never meant to be Hoarders of God's grace to us We're to be dispensers and it's really hard for you to be a dispenser When you're reliant on other people all the time Now if you're in a season of life Where that's necessary right, then, then there's no shame in that this morning I don't want you to feel any shame in that Because in fact sometimes God allows us To go through times of need To showcase his provision of goodness to us right? But if you're in need today Because you won't get a job Because you just refuse to work That does not honor the Lord at all It wastes the gift of your health. It wastes the gift of your life. It wastes the gift of work that he's given you. And like everything else, when we disobey him, there's ramifications for so many other people. That's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household, listen to this, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's harsh, but listen, this is, again, this is not a result of unforeseen circumstances. It's a response to an unwillingness to enter into the gift of work that God has given us. And what happens when we do that is that there are always people around you who aren't having their needs met ever either, and that is not the design of God. It's not how he intended, it because work is good, and work is a gift. Right? Thirdly, through work, we increase our ability to give. This one's a little bit complicated, but we'll unpack it. 2 Corinthians 8. Again, Paul's right. And I told you, he, he has a lot to say about this. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Now, if you set, if we had time to read today the, the entire chapter, Second Corinthians chapter eight and Second Corinthians chapter nine, you understand that Paul is writing the church at Corinth about this need that the church in Jerusalem has. A, an unforeseen circumstance, a famine has hit the city of Jerusalem hard, and the church that are believers there are hungry, they're going without food, they have, they, have a, they have a huge need. And so what Paul and his co-workers did is they arranged a financial collection of all the churches around the area to send it to Jerusalem to provide them aid. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's telling them what this gift is for, uh, what, wh- how they're going to collect it, what they're going to do with it, and what the purpose of it is. And in it, he says some really interesting things in just those couple verses we read. Number one, he says, whatever gift you give is acceptable if it's given in accordance to what you have. And then secondly, he says, the desire is not that you give, Corinth, to the point where now you're in need. The desire is not that you give to poverty, but that everyone be taken care of equally. So the, the thrust of the chapters is this, that Paul wanted them to give to those in need. He also wanted them to give to the ministry of the gospel because there are ways, those are ways that they could be a part of God's work far beyond their little life and their little circle. But the reality is, they could only give what they had. It makes sense today. today if you, want to, you can't give $10,000 if you only have 20 bucks. And so, what this means is that when you work and you work hard and you honor God and you work in, and you find success and God blesses that and He begins to give you raises, do you know why He's doing that? Well, I hate to break it to you. It's not that list of material things that you want. What God wants is to provide you more and more opportunities for you to be generous, more and more chances for you to store up treasures in heaven, chances that you wouldn't have if you didn't work. Right. Some, some of the most enriching experiences in my life have been mission strips. And each one that I've gone on, I've either been super young or had a young family in a ministry, in the reality I simply could not afford to go because it cost a lot of money to fly halfway across the world. But on every single trip, there's been some person, often anonymously, just cover the way. And man, I'm telling you, the treasure that awaits them and any who make kingdom work possible for others is is, is beyond what we can think about. And there are two things that I know. If they didn't work, that wouldn't be possible. Right? And secondly, I'm gonna spend the rest of my days looking for a way to be part of that blessing for other people. And so you won't hear your pastor tell you this much. So you better listen to it. Go make money. Make a lot of it. Make as much as you can. Seriously, just so long as it doesn't own you. Just so long as your life doesn't revolve around the pursuit of money. Just so long as that gift from God flows out of you to build the kingdom of God and bless other people. That's the design of it. Right? Through work, we give ourselves more opportunities of that. And through work, this is the most exciting one to me. Through work, we fight the curse. See, any Christian who's bored by their faith doesn't get how grand a scale it plays out on Colossians chapter 1, you can look in the screen or just turn a page back in your Bible. We're told this about Jesus, Colossians 1 verse 19. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now most of us in this room this morning know this great and awesome story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, who we're told there in Colossians 1, that was fully God. That Jesus became fully man. And And he did so to live the perfect life that you and I have not lived. And then that God went to a cross to be beaten and whipped and nailed and suffer and die. Not because he'd ever done a single thing wrong, but because of all the sins that you and I have committed. And he did so to reconcile us back to God, to make us right with God, to pay our price. And then he defeated death. And so the offer that stands before humanity today is that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we can have our sins completely forgiven and be given eternal life in heaven with him. And that story is awesome. But listen, the gospel of Jesus is so much bigger than us. You realize that mankind wasn't the only thing stained by sin, don't you? Romans chapter 8 tells us that all of creation is groaning in anticipation, awaiting the freedom from the curse. Jesus Christ came to restore you, yes, but he came to restore everything. He came to save the cosmos because all creation matters to God. Which means this, that if we're followers of him, what matters to him needs to matter to us. And so what you get to do now is you get to join in the fight against the curse. I told you earlier that, that the curse of sin is resting on all creation, and, and just doing nothing lets the curse win. But when we work, we actually get to fight back. When we, when we put out effort, we restore the glory of creation to its intended state. When we work, we bring dignity on ourselves as humans made in the image of God. Because creativity and innovation and beauty and order and art and learning and instruction, all of these things take effort, all these things take work, and all of them are worth it. Did you you know that when you cut your grass, that when you pick up a piece of trash off the ground, when you paint a picture, when you write a song, when you set a budget, when you build something, when you invest in someone else or teach someone else, on and on and on, what you're doing is fighting the curse? Because anything in this world that brings order, anything that ushers in beauty or creativity, anything that pushes back against the chaos wrecked by sin fights this curse, and we're the only ones who get to do this. We're the only thing in all creation to have this special dignity. It's only humans. Listen, I know, I know you dog people, right? You like to think that your dog is equal to you, that he's an equal part of the family. But listen, Fido ain't never building a bridge. He's not going to do it. You cat people, your cat won't plant a garden. If you plant a garden, he'll go poop in it. That's what he'll do to that process, right? But he won't plan it. You get that, right? Because engineering and brilliance and creativity and art and music, these are expressions of the Imago Dei. This is expression of the implant of the identity of God in us. And so no matter how menial your task is, do it for God. Because in doing so, you fight the curse. Here's how Martin Luther put it about 400 years ago. He writes, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. See, it really is that simple. When we work and we work well, we bring glory to God and we fight against the curse and the fall of sin. Which is the fifth way to maximize this gift. When we work, we simply love God. The heartbeat of worship is obedience. The heartbeat of obedience is love. And when we work, we obey the command of God on our lives to do so. To work this earth, to avoid idleness, to give ourselves to this. And when we work, we fill those two, the two greatest commands of the law, to love God and love others. And so every single follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who claims him, must carry in their lives an elevated view of work. It does not matter the position of your life. If, if you're a child or a student here this morning, you're still in your, in your parents' home, you're not immune from work. They literally send stuff home with you from school called homework. right? And there are chores that you do in your life. If you're, if you're a career person, you get to go to work every single day, five days a week, if not more. If you're a stay-at-home parent, sorry, hardest job ever. You work all the time. If you're retired, guess what? You never get to retire from the kingdom of God. You never get to retire from fighting the curse. We must have this view in our life. Because too often, right, too often, we think that God's interest in work peaks only in spiritual things. We think, well, if you're a pastor, you're a missionary, you do something that's directly kingdom work, then God's supremely interested in that. But with all other jobs, He just wants me to be a moral person. And that's not true at all. Right? Because God is in the process of saving the entire cosmos, He is supremely interested in every single aspect of your life, and He designed you to work and made you with the need for it. And so we must get this through our head. God does not only want us to do holy things. He wants us to be holy people. Because holy people make all things holy. And so the teacher or the doctor, the custodian, the factory worker, the service worker, the cashier, the assistant, the nurse, the receptionist who sold out to Christ make their place of employment holy. So you need to understand that how you work matters deeply to God. So how should we work? But you know it already. I'll just say it for you, though. Number one, we should always work hard. Hard work is not a value that's instilled in you from a previous generation. It's not something that your dad taught you. Hard work is a value to God because it honors him. Look again at Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. So when should you work hard? All the time, right? Not just when others see you, not just when your boss is around, not, not just to impress your spouse, not to better yourself, not to become someone's favorite, right? But work with sincerity. That's the word that Paul uses. And work with reverence for the Lord. And there's a phrase there in verse 23 that you are to work at it with all your heart. You know what that means, right? That language denotes effort, it includes passion, it includes sacrifice. There's nothing in Colossians 3 that can even be, begin to be confused with half hearted, lazy, unprepared work. And why should you do this? Hear me, because you have a really great boss. You've got the best. And I know some of you think, no, 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 you're not, you don't know my boss. You you think you could do better than your boss could do? You you you'd be way more fair. That that boss is incompetent or cruel. Except your boss isn't. Your boss is perfect. Your boss is gracious. Your boss has been great to you because you are to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your actual human superior is irrelevant when it comes to God's calling on your life for your work effort. It's irrelevant. You work for Him, and so be honest with yourself. What is what is your work effort? When you have a task, do you give it a full go? And don't just tell me how many hours you work. There are a lot of people who work a ton of hours and aren't working hard. I know the justifications we make. You don't understand. My my job is pointless. My boss is terrible. I, I find no value. I'm sorry that none of that matters at all. You work for the Lord, and he deserves you bringing him glory. And if those who carry the name of Christ out into our world are lazy and goof off and are inefficient workers, then we harm the name of Jesus every single day we go to work. So work hard. Number two, work excellently. Christians are always to be gracious people, yes. We're not to hold other people to ridiculous standards, but we can hold ourselves to it. We simply cannot be afraid of having standards of excellence. Because if you're working for the Lord, if it's Jesus Christ that we're serving, why would you want to offer him anything else? In Genesis 4, there's, there's a story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. And, and in Genesis 4, they both bring what's called a worship offering to the Lord. Now, Abel brought some of the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. Cain brought some plants he'd grown. And you know what Genesis 4 tells us? That the Lord accepted Abel's offering and he despised Cain's. And the reason why is because Abel brought the best of what he had. And Cain grabbed what it didn't hurt him to lose. And here's what I want you to understand. If you belong to Jesus Christ every single day... Whether you work in the home or work in your career or every single day that you take on a task, you're making a worship offering to the Lord. And how many of those recently would he have accepted? How many of your worship offerings through your work would he have despised? When you do a job, do you do it to the best of your ability? Do you take time to double check and make sure things are right? Do you put a little more time and attention and make sure it's done well? Do you work excellently? I know, I know that we can never earn God's favor. Everything that he does in our lives is by grace. But worship doesn't aim to earn God's favor. Worship aims to bring him glory. And I tell you, I long for FBN to be a place where his people bring him glory in everything that we do. Which brings us to our third and final point, work to bring God glory. Which sounds simple enough, but I'm telling you, it's harder than you think. If you work to bring God glory, this is what that means. This is the ramifications of that. It just can't be about you. And it can't be about your rights. And it can't be about your feelings. And it can't be about your salary. And it can't be about your experience. It just can't be about any of that stuff. Look again at verse 22. So slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and incur their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Does Paul say to obey good masters? Does he say to obey fair ones? Does he say to obey ones that treat you well? No, he just says, obey. And he says to obey them in everything, whether they're around or not, which means this is a really easy application in life, e- even though it's not that easy. If you have a superior in your life, in your area of work, and they tell you to do something, do it. If they went against your idea, do what they say. If they're acting unfair, do what they say. If you disagree with their decision, do what they say. If you would have gone another way, do what they say. It's that simple. It's that simple. Because we're told in the Bible that the authorities in our life are placed there by God, and we are to submit to them because we submit to the ultimate authority in our life, which is Jesus. In fact, how you act at work needs to be funneled through this goal of bringing God glory. And so if you've got coworkers who are just undermining and sleazy and just really hard to be around them, they're just just really difficult to be around, you need to funnel that. How can I bring God glory in my interactions with them? If you deal with the public... And so you've got customers who are just really unfair and rude, like everyone who deals with the public is, then you need to ask yourself, how can my interaction with these people bring God glory? And when you do that, not only are you encouraging fellow Christians, but you're a witness to non-believers. Because in your interaction with the people at work, if you, you strive to bring God glory because the focus is on Him, not on us. And by the way, anybody in here who, who, who gets to be a superior at work, You you get to be a boss of some measure. There's a standard for you as well. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. you got a boss too, and it matters. And so what you need to do is treat those who God given you authority over rightly and fairly and graciously in the way that you would like to be treated. And the idea flowing through all of this is that it's submission and acceptance of God's provision no matter what. And so whatever season of life you're in, whatever your work status is, whatever place you are in your career, we are to receive that thankfully before him and then work for the Lord in that. Which means that how much or how little you're paid, how easy or how hard your coworkers are to get along with, how easy or difficult it is for you to advance in your job, how fair or not fair your boss is, none of that matters. Because the call on you and the call on your work effort and the call on your attitude and the call on the goals in your work is the same. Is to bring him glory. And I know that some of you want to object. You say you just don't get it. Right? You don't know my situation. You don't know the boss that I have. You don't know my, you just don't understand how bad it is. Do I need to remind you this morning of this minor detail? Paul's writing to slaves. None of you are slaves. And so no matter how bad it is you, it's not that. You get to go home at the end of the day. So you do not get to punt on this. You don't get to explain this away or justify it. This is a calling on your life. So what what are we to do about this? Well, we remind ourselves of this truth repeatedly: that work is worship. And so tomorrow, the next time you get an assignment that you don't want, tell yourself that work is worship. Stay-at-home parents, you get you just got the kids down for a nap and your to-do list is longer than it was when the morning started, and you're just overwhelmed. Tell yourself, work is worship. Right? You hit get, you get that 2 p.m. law in the afternoon and you'd rather just lay down, tell yourself that work is worship. When you have a chance to take credit for something in your job that you really didn't do, tell yourself that work is worship. When you got a chance to pass the blame on somebody when it's really your fault, tell yourself that work is worship. When you have the opportunity to serve your neighbor, to to do something labor-driven to help them out, tell yourself that work is worship. When you don't get the raise that you believe you deserve, tell yourself that work is worship. When there's no accountability and no one is watching you and you can do whatever you want, tell yourself that work is worship. When you feel as if things are pointless, when your boss goes in a different direction than what you were suggesting, when a customer chews you out, when you make a mistake and you have the opportunity to fess up to it, tell yourself that work is worship. When that coworker is grinding your last nerve or you've been handed your least favorite task or there's a homework assignment that you'd rather blow off or there's dishes in the sink or you see a piece of trash in the ground, just tell yourself that work is worship. And you've been called to this. You've been called to bring him honor and glory through this. I'm not telling you this morning to never rest. There are clear commands in the Bible that we are to take a day each week and rest and connect deeply with our Lord. But when it's time to work, that is an offering of worship that we are to do for him and him alone. And So what if it was possible for you to have a renewed purpose in what you do? What is it possible you have a source of of unceasing motivation in in your work? What is it possible to have means to overcome apathy or frustration or to have a renewed sense of purpose as you deal with other people? What if you could find joy in what used to be meaningless tasks for you? Well, it all starts in shifting our focus, shifting the focus of our work off of us and on to God. Because work becomes worship when we dedicate it to the Lord and we perform it with an awareness of Him. Work becomes worship when we dedicate it to the Lord and perform it with an awareness of Him. So again and again and again, remind yourself, opportunity after opportunity, this work is worship. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you are supremely interested in every single area of our life. God, that your word... Speaks to every season of life Every phase of life You have a design in each of it And the design is this That we are to bring you glory in all that we do And So God I pray uh, I pray for those in this room whose, whose work experience right now is really difficult God there, there are hurdles they're up against uh, there, there are frustrations that they deal with That are real and they're challenging And I don't want to act like they're not this morning well, Lord, I pray that you give them the strength, or just see their work in a brand new light, to see it as an opportunity to make much of you. God, I pray for those in this room whose, whose offering of praise to you through a work effort has been really suspect lately. God, that we're cutting corners, uh, we're slacking off, but we're not bringing you honor in the tasks that we do. God, we're just, we're just not bringing you glory. And Lord, for those of us in our midst of doing that, I pray that you would just, that your conviction would land heavy, that we'd have renewed sense of purpose to bring you honor, to make others' lives better, to fight the curse, and to take advantage of this gift you've given us. And Lord, for the rest of us who maybe, maybe this topic doesn't really apply directly to their lives this morning, Lord, we know that you're interested in every aspect of our lives, and so help us to funnel everything that we do through the prism of worship. And Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've got a response time in our service now. And this is just a time for you to speak uh, just between you and the Lord. And just some things that he wants to rest with you. But we give you some guided prayers if, if you need that. And so first, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then we want this to be the moment. That you make today the day of your salvation. And we're asking, if you've never done that, you, you must believe in him for forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. This is your time to do that. But if you've done that, then this is a simple idea I want you to wrestle with, whether you're a career person or not, right? God is interested in your work because he's interested in every aspect of your life. And so the question I want you to take before him today is what areas of your life, work or otherwise, have you not viewed through the prism of worship? You not see it as an opportunity to make much of him. You not see it as a chance to bring him honor and glory. And then whatever those areas are, give those to him this morning. Ask him to forgive you to, to, for your just sense of control over them. And those of you who work as a very real part of life, ask the Lord just to reveal you, to you the ways that your work is just not pleasing to Him. And then repent it of Him. Repent it before Him and ask Him for forgiveness. Before we sing this last song together, um, I just wanted to share a little bit. Uh, this week has been heavy and it's been hard. We, we were a student life camp and I don't wanna take away too much from all that the Lord did there because we're gonna share about it next week, but uh, I've experienced the Lord's goodness this week um, and his faithfulness to us and his kindness for us. Um, and I was able to watch our students do exactly what we just talked about, work and worship through it um, and, and rely on his goodness. Um, and so I'm excited um, to sing one last song together with this group behind me. Um, so would you just stand and sing with us today, um, and let's let's close out this service with a shout of praise for our Lord.